Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of If Women Were Meant to Fly, The Sky Would Be Pink. Episode 11, The Death of Reason. I'm Enid O'Toon. In this episode, I have a heated argument on the ramp with the Chief Executive Officer of Shell Oil, and I transport a recently deceased oilman out of Port Harcourt on his final journey home to the US. I loved flying the King Air. It was a sleek work of art, and although it had its quirks, it was a joy to operate. It does, however, have to be said that it was also an unforgiving aircraft if you allowed it to get the better of you, much like them all, I guess. As the months passed, the charter business took on a life of its own. We were everywhere. Many times we were called upon to provide last-minute flights, and were on call regularly. One such call came in early one Saturday afternoon, and it took me aback a little. We were to depart to Port Harcourt to pick up a recently deceased man. On taking the call, I noticed that I felt both nervous and determined. This would be a first for me, and I can't deny I felt a little anxious about it. The poor man obviously had to be handled with care, and I wanted to make sure things were done the right way. I always took that approach to my job, but in this case it seemed even more important. On arrival at the airport, I had to work together with the engineers to prepare the aircraft cabin, whose seats would be removed in preparation for a coffin. We had to use spreader boards to distribute the weight, much as we did with cargo flights, taking excess passenger baggage down route on behalf of the regularly scheduled Twin Otter flights. The flight took approximately an hour and 30 minutes and we parked on the shell ramp. There was some confusion on arrival as to what had happened and what was expected. I learnt that the man we were to pick up had died the night before in the local airport hotel that we often used ourselves and only had been found the next morning when he didn't appear for his meeting. He'd arrived from Texas and had apparently had a massive heart attack. What a sad situation for both him and his family in the US, I thought to myself, to pass away so suddenly and so far away from home. But I had to push my feelings aside. The situation had not been dealt with appropriately, and had resulted in him being taken to a local hospital that had no facilities to store the deceased. As a result, His company paid to have a coffin made for him, as the ones that were available were too small. He was approximately six foot two inches tall, and they had no secure place to store his body, and so it was decided to put him in an air-conditioned truck until we arrived to pick him up. That was a full six hours before we got there. Just let that sink in. I decided to discuss the situation with the company representatives who were waiting for the truck to arrive at the departure lounge. 
There were two U.S. citizens and two local Nigerian representatives. They explained that he had just arrived with a work colleague and had shown no signs of any illness. Their priority was to get him back to Lagos and for him to be put on an international flight home. My concerns were twofold. One, the state of his body and the immediate flight to Lagos, and two, getting a coffin that long through the cargo doors and onto the aircraft. My fears would be realised very shortly when the team dropped him after an aborted attempt to get him on board. I was unhappy with the methods used to store the body and the haphazard paperwork provided by a local doctor. Whilst we were waiting on his colleague to accompany him, I started to make arrangements to transport his body to the aircraft. The best that we had available was a baggage cart and this was too short, so the coffin would have to be placed at an angle to get him out to the ramp. I walked out to the aircraft to make sure we could secure the doors and steps to facilitate safe handling. Even though I would always remain professional and do my job, the basic nature of this very sensitive task was a struggle. I personally struggled around the subject of death and, having been exposed to it so often with colleagues and friends and family on an almost regular basis since I was a child, didn't make it any easier. In truth, I was freaked out. But he was in my care, and he was someone's son, brother, husband, father and colleague, and we had to do this with as much dignity for him as was possible under the circumstances. When I returned to the departure lounge, the colleague accompanying us had arrived. Unfortunately now, the staff who were to assist us with this task refused to touch the coffin or relay his body to the aircraft. I wasn't actually sure what had created this reluctance. All I knew was that I would have to move fast to resolve it, as we were running out of time to get him to Lagos and on to a commercial flight to the US. I sat down with the dispatcher and luggage handlers. They knew me very well since I joined as a co-pilot, and so I appealed to their familiarity with me. Some of their reluctance stemmed from a religious standpoint, or, although I couldn't get to the bottom of why exactly. It took over an hour to eventually convince them to help, and a donation to their local church. With everyone now lending their assistance, we removed the coffin from the vehicle. This was my first glimpse of the very local nature of the casket itself. It had two panels of glass which ran at least half its length. I wasn't used to seeing this and of course I didn't see the point of it either. I also realised that he only just fit in it and had to be turned on his side with his knees bent. This was an unnatural sight and it also meant that the lid was slightly loose. We managed to get him onto the baggage trolley and made our way gingerly along the narrow path to the ramp. In the back of my mind, I knew this was going to be a disaster when it came to loading him on board, and I was proved correct as we approached the stairs. I positioned myself with my first officer in the aircraft so that we could position the casket between the tie-downs already in place to keep it from moving around. I was concentrating on shouting instructions to the very reluctant men who could not wait for this to be over, when the first of them slipped on the stairs, and in slow motion the casket hit the deck before turning over and partially depositing its contents onto the ramp. I was mortified. Literally everyone ran, 
leaving me to gasp at this poor man who'd been ejected from his casket and who was now at the most awkward angle imaginable. He was also only wrapped in a white sheet. No one had thought to clothe him in something more substantial. At this point I'd had enough, and I yelled at them to act like men and take responsibility. I remember reminding them that this man had a family and loved ones and we needed to get him home. Would they not like to be shown the same courtesy, I asked? And I whispered under my breath that this might be sooner rather than later. With some inventive manoeuvring and someone stationed to make sure everything remained secure, we got him on board and not a moment too soon as he'd been out in the sun for a considerable amount of time. Once we had tied the casket down, I started the engines to get some air conditioning going. This helped, but not a lot. With his colleague on board and thanks given to everyone who assisted, we taxied for takeoff. With a tailwind, we made it to Lagos in record time, and that was something I was grateful for. I turned around to address his colleague mid-flight, who was situated at the very rear of the aircraft, only to find him sound asleep, his feet propped up on his colleague's casket with a beer in his hand. I just stared at him at Gog. There were no words. As a commercial pilot, you'll often have to make the tough decisions relating to things that are part of your remit. In an executive setting, you'll often have to choose your words wisely as you deal with senior executives who expect to be treated a certain way. In spite of the flack that I often took as a woman pilot in a position of authority, I think I managed to conduct myself in a professional and measured way, which is to be expected as a captain. However, there are always exceptions to this rule. One such incident occurred as I was flying the managing director and CEO of Shell Oil from Lagos to Calabar Airport in the east of the country. The outbound flight had been uneventful and the crew were to wait for several hours with the aircraft for the return flight. I knew him reasonably well and had flown him many times before, so we were on first-name terms. Together with my first officer, we passed our time at the airport in the air-conditioned executive lounge, where I managed to get through a good chunk of war and peace. Shortly before we were due to depart, we took more fuel on board as the weather was scheduled to deteriorate before our arrival in Lagos. The refueler, unfortunately, was a tad messy this time around and overfilled our tanks. This did not cause a problem as the excess fuel would vent onto the ground beneath the wings and was a common occurrence. Most of the excess fuel would evaporate quickly in the heat of the day. I had just finished my walk around when a member of the managing director's entourage appeared and told me that they were ready to board. I confirmed that we were also ready and took my seat with the right engine running to provide air conditioning, whilst my first officer got everyone on board and closed the doors. Watching the passengers approach the aircraft, I noticed that the managing director had pulled my first officer aside and was bending his ear. He came aboard to report that the managing director was extremely displeased with the amount of fuel on the ground and would not board the aircraft until I moved it. I shut down the engine and exited the aircraft to meet him, surrounded by his junior executives. 
He proceeded to give me a dressing down in front of them, knowing full well that he was challenging my authority. I remained calm and carefully explained that the fuel had for the most part evaporated and that there was no danger as I had assessed the situation and was satisfied that we were operating with the highest levels of safety. He ordered me to move the aircraft. I calmly but firmly advised him that I was the commander of this aircraft and as such had the final say. If he wished to overrule me, he could take the aircraft back to Lagos himself. I also advised him to direct his vitriol to my chief pilot when we returned, as I would not be spoken to in that manner. With that, I turned on my heel and returned to the aircraft, instructing my first officer to get the passengers on board that were travelling and leaving behind the ones that were not. I made a mental note to bring my CV up to date and prepare to be fired. Quite the opposite happened. Once we had landed and the doors had been opened for the passengers, I filled out the aircraft technical log and signed off. As I grabbed my flight bag and descended the steps, I came face to face with the managing director. He had been waiting for me to exit and had insisted that the engineers not call me whilst I was finishing up my protocol. Very carefully, he extended his hand and apologised profusely for embarrassing me and challenging my position. He explained in full earshot of his junior executives that he had been hot, tired and frustrated and had taken it out on me. It would never happen again and that he had known me for a long time and trusted my judgment. I was speechless. He could have done this privately and I told him that. He replied that it was good for everyone to learn to apologise when they were wrong. He was also kind enough to request me as his pilot whenever he flew. Thank you for listening. As always, your reviews and comments are very much appreciated. Thank you to Lucy Ashby for the editing of this episode. If you would like to ask a question or make a comment, please do so on our social media sites. We're on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or send us an email. Our email address is theskyispinkpilot at gmail.com or visit our website www.skyispink.co.uk In the next and final episode of Season 2, I reflect on my years with Bristow's as I am encouraged to broaden my horizons. I find myself in the palace of the Emir of Kano and I make the very difficult decision to leave Bristow Helicopters. Thank you and goodbye.